0: It's time again for us to go deep, to get nerdy on uh, one of my favorite subjects on our show, one of uh, my passions, which is the art of cinematography, the art of visual storytelling. And uh, I'm always on the hunt. I'm always looking for interesting, different, uh, a wide variety of cinematographers to have on the show. Uh, from all different age ranges, from all different backgrounds. Um, And today's guest, I have been hounding uh, for at least a month uh, to be on the show and uh, her schedule uh, has finally opened up and uh, I'm very happy that it worked out. I just finished recording it. Um, Today's guest um, has been doing amazing work for, for not that long of time. Like, Uh, she uh, finished up film school not long ago and it's interesting to see how quickly her uh, trajectory has been how fast she has been learning um, how beautiful the footage is that she has shot um, and you may have seen some of it Uh, she's done some music videos uh, she's done some shorts and she's most recently and notably shot ads for companies like frame.io and adobe and very high-end commercials for them uh beautiful looking commercials for them um and um so i saw her stuff i think she showed up on one of my feeds and i was like whoa pretty cool i really liked the lighting and the atmospheric stuff on the stuff that they were doing and uh how clever and creative the use of sets and studio stuff was um can i say stuff any more than i have (laughs) jesus I have done multiple episodes today, so bear with me. Um, but I'm very excited for today's guest. And finally, we got to connect. Finally, we got to talk. We get nerdy about lighting. We get ner- nerdy about inspiration. We get nerdy about influence. Uh, we talk about working with crews. We talk about uh, uh, skills that you could learn as a younger filmmaker to inspire and uh, command respect from older folks that are working on your team. We get into that stuff too it's a great really great episode if you're trying to learn how to be a cinematographer if you're trying to learn how to be a young director um this is a good one for you and uh today's guest uh the lovely and the talented Alyssa rooney joins us um and we get into it so strap yourselves in for a cinematography episode of in love with the process. Welcome to my show. My name is Mike Petchy. I host this show. Uh, grab a seat. Grab a beer. Uh, grab a white a white claw. <laughs> You'll know what that means as you get into the show. But um, happy you're here. I've been hard at work, um, recording as many episodes as I can for the queue, getting you guys as much content as possible. Um, we're recording this one later than we usually do, and bear with my mouth not uh reacting to my brain on time because it's you know i've done a bunch of shit today <laughs> um but thank you for being here and i want to thank everybody for following me on instagram at Petchy and following the podcast at a love with the process pod on instagram uh you guys have seen our new posts the stuff that we did for ew the boy stuff you saw um the most recent photo shoots that i helped gina with I did some post talking about how I helped her burn photographs, which is pretty cool. We did a bunch of real-time chemical processing on photos uh, that were then scanned in and used for Entertainment Weekly. Wild to me that we were able to kind of go off the rails creatively. Uh, for a company like that, that traditionally does very sort of traditionally safe photographs. And I'm not dogging any of them. They're gorgeous. Um, but uh, we really pushed our limits with them and uh stuff came out great uh check out my account or check out gina's account go right to her stuff she needs the love guys go to gina underscore uh gisella so gina underscore gisella on instagram um follow her, check out the behind the scenes stuff look at all the shit that she's doing right now man she's crushing it and i'm so happy to be there to help her out and i'm really happy that this industry is opening up to everybody you know, and uh, working on her sets and being a part of her sets, and there are so many different women in positions of power now, and being able to work with very inspiring female artists has been phenomenal. Um, and I'm just so proud of Gina. Like I, I like being with you know, such a powerful, inspiring artist. Uh, am I gushing too much? My bad. Um, so thanks for being here. And let's see what else is going on. Like I said, a bunch of episodes on the route. I have been teasing the food episodes. They're coming. I have chefs. I have barbecue pit masters. I have them all on the way. They're coming. Um, I've also been toying with the idea of Patreon for this, for our show. I've had a bunch of people ask for it. They're like, we want to support the show. Have you ever thought about doing a Patreon? How many of you listening actually subscribe to some sort of podcast, Patreon? How many of you have done this? Let me know, this is a serious question. Help me shape the future of this show. Do you guys like Patreon accounts? And then if you are signing up and paying uh, a Patreon, what do you expect in return? The show is always gonna be free in one format or another, but I have been threatening this. As we get into episode 200, I'm thinking about putting the first 100 episodes behind some sort of paywall, and that could be through Patreon. Really could. You could, I mean, do you guys get off on the idea of like discounted merch through Patreon? Do you guys uh, like the idea of having special episodes through Patreon? Let me know. Let me know. Send me a message on Instagram. I need this feedback. If I don't hear from you, I will make a decision on my own. And I'd rather have you guys be a part of it as with everything else that we do on the show. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. I really uh, talk shop with Alyssa. So grab your headphones, grab those noise canceling headphones, crank them up to 11. Make sure you got a few of those nice chilled white claws ready to go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of Love with the Process. Lisa, thanks for being on the show. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm doing pretty well.
0: Well, I'm excited. We've been talking uh on and off for a while about getting you on the show and now your busy schedule has opened so that you can come on. And say hi.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm I'm stoked I finally get to hop on and been a minute. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, what are you up to, man? Like uh you uh doing like a nine to five right now? What's what's your job status like?
1: I am, yeah. I am currently a full-time cinematographer for Frame IO and Adobe. Nice. Um, it's a long story, but this is my second full-time job as a DP, which is, I feel like, pretty rare. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting that this is my second one, um, and I'm super thankful for it. I feel like I've learned a ton just having to shoot constantly for the same company.
0: That's rad. Like, what kind of stuff are you shooting for those guys?
1: <sighs> yeah, we shoot, I mean, we started uh, last year. January. Um, so we've been on the team for about a year and a half. And I, I was one of the first people on the team. So we've kind of been building it out um, internally. And we're mostly shooting um, commercials, product launches, uh, and case studies at the moment. Um, hopefully be be expanding to be able to do some other things. But um, that's kind of where we're at at the moment.
0: Very cool. Yeah, because I had seen I saw the stuff that you did uh, for the commercial stuff. Like the Frame I/O stuff was gorgeous that you had shot for those.
1: Thank ones. you. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I feel like, especially after getting bought by Adobe, we just have, you know, a lot of toys to play with, and I'm able to I don't know expand my knowledge and the technology that we're able to use a lot more. Um, and so it's been really cool to. Have some fun budgets to play with, um, and yeah. kind of get what we want, and and really push the boundaries in terms of what all of us have done before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looks like you had some fun budgets to play with
1: <laughs> with some of the
0: stuff that you've shot. Some pretty epic studio stuff. Some pretty cool looking yeah. gear. You know, it looks like you're getting all the toys to get your hands on.
1: Yeah, and I like can't even explain how much I've learned in the last year and a half. So I'm just super grateful for my team and my boss and everyone, um, there, it's just been like really crazy, uh, cool ride that I'm just thankful to be on. Um, you know, anyone could be in this position. And so, uh, I try not to take it for granted and try to learn as much as I can on every project that we do.
0: Well, let's start at the beginning. Why cinematography? Why was this the, uh, the storytelling choice for you? <sighs>
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. It's it's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, I grew up doing photography. Uh, probably started when I was about eight. Mm-hmm. Um, just picked up my family's like point and shoot vacation camera. Uh, started shooting like flowers and things like that. Um, and kind of just became known as the family photographer. So for events and everything, I would be the one asked to take pictures. Not that they, they weren't like Good, but you know, <laughs> I enjoyed it and um, ended up getting a DSLR later on, kind of like everyone else in the world, um, and just expanded my knowledge from there. And um, I took darkroom in high school, and I think I just developed a love for composition early on and kind of looking for natural light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took some cool photos, I feel like, in high school and even some that I developed back in the day. I'm still proud of which is cool to say
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and it taught me just a lot of the fundamentals about photography and um you know what makes a good photograph uh or a memorable photograph
2: yeah um yeah
1: and you know ended up you know I never really did film before going to film school um so I think I just I grew up in LA I had an uncle that worked at CBS studios growing up Mm-hmm. Um and so we would go to like tapings of shows and I think that's where I first kind of had an introduction to film mm. um and ended up discovering cinematography in college uh, a couple years in just after acing and kind of learning a lot of the roles um so not a crazy story but uh, I it's interesting because it hasn't been that long of a story either <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I mean it seems like you're rising pretty quickly and we you know you and I have a lot of similarities I started when I, years ago when I was doing cinematography I started as a still photographer too and it was yeah. very much out of necessity because at that time this was when digital really wasn't I mean, it just was starting. So at that time, everything was film, and film was very expensive. And so being able to shoot film on stills Was a great way to practice without having to uh, dig too deep into my pockets for that sort of thing. So
1: exactly, yeah, I'm stoked honestly that my school offered it. uh, You know, dark room. I feel like it's not as common anymore, and so I'm just like super thankful that I had that really early experience with it. Yeah. Um, and then same with college. I did dark room in college as well, and I feel like you can't trade that experience for anything. Um, and anyone that has never tried it should. You know, try it. It's just like a magical experience. It you is. You know, watching an image appear on a wet piece of paper in a dark room. <laughs> yeah.
0: It really it's is crazy. magical. Yeah. It's like, it's magician shit. We are in there and it you're is. just like, oh, I just roll these chemicals together and then this happens weird. And yeah, then
2: it's crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then you're getting high off of the chemicals all day. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. There you go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We're just in there sniffing chemicals. That's the real yeah, thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stumble out of that. I remember just stumbling out of our. (laughs) dark room all the time and just be like, man, I've been in there for hours. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. And, and rudimentary, like the old techniques of burning and dodging and all that sort of stuff, uh, in the processing, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see the origins of Photoshop really.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was cool too, to me, uh, you know, even doing it in college, how after a couple years of film school as well. So I, I think I took room, maybe my junior year of college yeah. um and so I'd already had you know almost two and a half years of film school and cinematography under my belt at that point so it's really interesting for me um you know to compare even my knowledge um and maybe skill set be- between high school and college just like after taking a lot of film classes and understanding storytelling and mm-hmm. composition even more and light um because it's a pretty gnarly difference yeah. uh and even you know comparing myself to a lot of the freshmen that were in that class i was in like an entry-level class that's at, in college and so um it was just like interesting to compare even what film school taught me yeah um and just like doing it constantly
0: how long ago was college for you
1: <laughs> i graduated in i'm a, gonna date myself in a bad way uh <laughs> i graduated in fall of 2018
0: okay all right um,
1: so i've been out for I think December will be four years technically. So. So you're a on a
0: you're on a high <laughs> speed a you're on a high speed trajectory with your work at this point, which yeah. is nice. Yeah,
1: I mean, again, I think the the full time jobs have really done it for me. Um, just put me in a place to almost continue film school in a way. It's like I have, uh, you know, I'm obligated to do these particular projects and um, push myself and do the best that I can, and I'm given the tools. Um, to do that. And I feel like that's a similar place as being in school, except that I'm getting paid to do it. And so just having the consistency is really important for me, um, especially on high end gear with uh, high level
0: crews. Yeah. It must be uh, it must be helpful to have the consistent sort of trial and error and uh, dealing with, I, I would say more importantly, dealing with crew because a big part of being a cinematographer is knowing how to like manage and be a mentor and almost like a mother to your team. Right?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. And I feel like I've learned that so much more being at Frame.io. Um I feel like, you know, especially when you're in film school and maybe coming right out, you're like, oh, my primary job is to make a beautiful image and tell the director's story. But you start to realize that there's so much more to cinematography than that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like s- such a small amount of people make it because you like, there's so many people that can make beautiful images. But can you manage you know a 40 person crew under you on these large scale productions and manage your time um, and be a kind person? I think there's just so much more that goes along with it that people discount a lot of the time and isn't part of the primary conversation about how to be successful as a cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like being at Frame.io has taught me a lot about that um, and just like building out with a team and growing with people uh, all of that's been really important.
0: Yeah. 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 That's invaluable, man. And to be able to do that regularly, that's, that's very invaluable.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, And you know, I think another thing that's been beneficial is being able to hire union crew members sometimes. Um, and those are to me, you know, I'm always trying to hire people that are better at what they do than I am. And Mm -hmm. obviously that's not hard to do, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, being able to hire union people, I'm able to learn so much from them in a small period of time. And I've just found a really good group of people who are supportive and respectful and want me to learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I honestly have never had like negative experiences, even as a woman really with crew under me, um, just because I feel like I've gotten lucky and found really good people who are great at what they do and also really kind people at the same time.
0: That's really refreshing and nice to hear because I I think that there is, there's a lot of press and there's a lot of bad press about how shitty the people in our industry can be. And, uh, I think it's, I think it's just as important for us to celebrate the people that aren't shitty in our industry. Yeah,
1: exactly. And those are the people that are going to last a long time and really make it. I'm sure there's a lot of terrible people out there Um, I'm sure I will run into some in the future. uh, But fingers crossed, you know, we kind of keep this industry clean of those people um, Mm -hmm. just as things are changing. And uh, there's no point in having bad attitudes on set. There's lots of people that are great at what they do that have uh, amazing attitudes.
0: Yeah, no. And I mean, I've been... I've been directing and shooting now for like 20 plus years and just you, you kind of feel you, you smell them coming, you know what I mean? Yep. Like you feel them coming and you're just like, well, let's weed those people out really quick because <laughs> a bad apple on your, on your crew, you know, someone that's moaning about like, what hour are we at? And when are we getting exactly. overtime and when's meal and all that kind of shit that starts to taint the entire fucking thing. And so, exactly. yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that you're getting all this experience and, and, Same boat with me. Years ago, when I was starting, I I would intentionally hire really, really Mm -hmm. experienced key grips, really experienced gaffers to work for me uh, because you're leaning on them all the time. And for, for, for years I'd get hired and people would go, Hey, we'd love you to come in and, and do that stuff that you do. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Also hire this dude and this woman, <laughs> because yeah. the work that you're giving me credit for, that's their work. It's not my work. Exactly.
1: You know? Oh, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and we always, you know, as directors and DPs get most of the credit, but especially after this last year and a half, I'm just like, I'm doing almost nothing compared mm-hmm. to the, the people that are under me. You know, we direct and we give guidance And we make decisions, but you know, there's so many creative ideas that a lot of times aren't even mine,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: which everyone else deserves credit for.
0: So let's talk. I mean, I'm a nerd for lighting. I love lighting. And every time I have a cinematographer on the show, I'm like, let's talk about lighting. (laughs) Um, so um, what's your, what's your uh, philosophy on lighting? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Is it something you just got to do? Is it something you're obsessed with? What's your deal?
1: Question number one, have you met a cinematographer who doesn't like lighting?
0: Um, I've talked to some cinematographers that really lean heavily on their gaffers. I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, sure. I'm just saying, you never know. Yeah,
1: yeah for sure. Um, I So I would say initially, again, in my short stint of time in this industry, uh, mm-hmm. I kind of started as more of a like camera nerd. And so I was always focused on, you know, what camera I'm going to use, what Mm -hmm. lenses. Mm -hmm. Um, and lighting was always a a second thought in my mind, Mm -hmm. which is terrible. I don't agree with that. Um, but in the last probably year and a half or two years, um, I have become obsessed with lighting. And to me, the camera is almost the second thought they need to go hand in hand. Of course. Sure. Um, I'm so much more excited now to pick my lights and light the scene with my gaffer and key grip. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the, the camera choices, you know, at the end of the day, as long as I'm shooting on a, a similar caliber, like cinema uh, camera, mm-hmm. you know, between the lenses and the lighting, those are my, my two favorite things to pick. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with lighting. Same as you.
0: Okay. And so when you're, when you're, how do you, hmm, let me see how to phrase this. Let's get nerdy. How do you, uh, how do you see light? Are you constantly observing light and taking note of light? Like how do you, it's a weird question to ask, but I feel like a cinematographer, I can ask this question. Do you yeah, see, do you see light that. in a weird way?
1: I feel like I have, I don't know if I see light in a, a weird way. I think I have a a, a strong appreci- appreciation for light more mm-hmm. than the average human. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm always looking at light, um, you know, how it's entering a room, how it's skipping off of objects around me. Um, If there's atmosphere in the air, I'm always like annoying my family with how there's (laughs) like natural diffusion happening. Um, So yes, I'm always very aware of the light happening around me, um, natural or like practicals that are in rooms and things like that. Um, And that gives, you know, a lot of uh, direction, even in terms of like how I approach lighting, I feel like when I am taking on a project. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I heard this, From maybe it was David Mullen or something, but you know, I feel like, especially coming out of film school, you're never really taught great ways of lighting um, or really like how it happens. I feel like it just comes later in life after doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I remember even being in school trying to light. Uh, like a day interior, but in a studio and having just like two units go through a window and realizing like that does not work. Uh, (laughs) You have to have a lot of ambience going on in the room with top light or space lights. Um, And there's a lot more that happens with light that I feel like, you know, the average human isn't really aware of or when we're lighting a scene, the extra things that we have to think of, of you know, where it's bouncing off of to create highlights in other places mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to be also a lot more aware of how light hits different objects to create different um, intensities or patterns or um, uh, uh, temperatures in a room, even if it's like bouncing off of a wood wall and things like that.
0: Yeah. 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 The color temps that happen. It's, it's exactly, fa- it's, it's fascinating when you're actually, I, I've been, I've been playing with it for so long at this point. And uh, my initial relationships, even all the way down to the beginning for me, back when I was just an assistant and I was helping shoot in- interviews and stuff and just like unpacking, this was back when we were using mostly Fresnels and cool. un- unpacking Fresnels and, and like just, touching the cables and touching these units and understanding that it was this fascinating process of taking a current of power and putting it through this thing, which would then translate it into this, this light and how that light was colored, how that light flew through the air and flowed through the air. And I, I've said it on other episodes. I, I always see light like, like, uh, like water to a certain extent mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. it splashes around and, yeah. uh, how it affects people and, Dude, i love it man i love when i when i, when I like i'm very fortunate because my girlfriend gina is also a director and she's a photographer and sometimes i you know get guilted into <laughs> into going and work for her and i love it I, I just put on my lighting hat and she's like will you come light for me and i'm like yeah
2: yeah." that's amazing
0: and it, there's something really nice about that where you just you you step on set and it's dark and you turn on that first light and you just look at where it goes and you're just like. Yeah. there's a marvel to it um and and then it's just about you know taking that light that's bouncing off of everything and then going into this lens which is then most of the time going onto a chip or a piece of celluloid or whatever but um and then what that's doing and how the lens is changing that light and how someone's skin is changing that light and oh i can get fucking nerdy about it it's 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 such and then
1: shaping it. I mean, shaping it is yes. such a blast. You know, working with my key grip to you know figure out ways to rig a light or how are we going to cut it off of something? It seems impossible. Yeah. Um, and it's so cool, especially working with a key grip. I've been using a lot recently. He is just so thoughtful about light. He is not one of those like grumpy key grips that we, we always hear <laughs> tropes about. Um, mm-hmm. But he he is like so obsessed with light and really understands how to create. Um, shadow or remove or add light where when necessary um and so he's always doing things before i even ask them to be done and so even being able to work with people that are passionate passionate about the light Mm -hmm. um, and attempting to create the best image possible alongside of you you Mm -hmm. know those are people to have oh. with
0: you on your team uh, those are dream po- those are dream collaborators really oh, no. <laughs> really. <laughs> exactly. because I, I mean i try to do that for for my girlfriend gina consistently like i'm always moving light and doing stuff behind the scenes and it's just because i've been in her position it's just because i've been the, the leader i've been the director and i know that when you're in the process of, of being at the front as the photographer like Maybe 40% of your time is actually making the image and the rest of the time is, is client management and dealing with yeah, clients exactly. and dealing with the subjects in front of the camera. So to have that team around you and that team in the best world, that team is someone that is like a great gaffer, a great key grip, and then really great if you have a camera operator, but really great assistant camera operators and everybody yeah. that are just, they have the awareness to see that bird's eye view of what's happening on set, how they could be better suited to make it work better, you know?
1: Exactly. And those people that take that burden of having to do everything off of you and wait for direction. It's like we all have, especially the gaffers and key grips. It's like, you guys have been in the industry a lot longer than I have a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the ropes, you know, that light needs to be flagged off these walls. Like, please don't wait for me to tell you to do that. Um, You know, I feel like a lot of them already understand what needs to be done. Um, so I really appreciate when people kind of just start doing things. And then, you know, if I don't like something, I'll definitely call it out. But chances are, I'm I'm usually pretty easygoing. Um, and so as long as I don't not like something, you know, we'll continue to move on with what they have.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, when I got started, I was like, what, 23, 22, 23. And I, I had a bunch of gaffers and grips that were probably twice my age. That were working for me, (laughs) and so I learned pretty quickly to grow a full beard, (laughs) (laughs) just to command, just to be able to command a set and sort of get a bit of respect. Maybe Um, I
2: should try that.
0: I I was gonna say, you know, you want some beard growing techniques? Let me know. Um, But I was gonna ask you this because you know, double down, right? You're younger, and you're a woman in the industry, and a lot of the folks that are working for you, I'm sure, are still men because men are still pretty prominent in this business. Do you find? Like what are the the, the the skills that you utilize to sort of command a set and get respect, especially from a lot of crew people that you're meeting for the first time?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I think everyone has really different approaches. I, especially when I'm meeting people for the first time, I just try to be a really kind person,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and try to get to know people before we really start diving into work. Um, and I, I think a lot of that's come just from the family I've grown up in. We're all very personable and ask each other lots of questions about our lives. Um, and I I've felt that that really helps, um, you know, start to create relationships with the people that you're working with and not just look at them as people that are working under you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, you know, is always treating people with the same respect no matter the position that they hold on your set. Um, you know, my gaffer is just as important to me as uh, his SLTs um, and I I treat them with the same respect and kindness. um, And I I think that goes a long way. I've honestly never had problems with attitudes or anything on set. uh, So it seems to be working and that's kind of what I'll probably continue to do.
0: That's great. I mean, that's, I mean, it's good advice for any young uh, cinematographer that's listening to this. And I think, I don't know if it's still, you know, I think it's kind of going extinct, which is nice, but you know uh, for a long time, Uh, to be a cinematographer or director meant that you had to have an ego and you had to walk on set and you had to be like the artiste, you know what I mean? And and, um, you were just essentially distancing yourself from your tools. It was like, you know, you know, shitting on your paintbrushes.
1: (laughs) I'm not a fan of that. Uh, And honestly, egos really get me. I'm not a fan of egos. I just want to have fun making projects with people. And um, I, I, Again, the treating people the same and with kindness kind of is against that a hundred percent because mm-hmm. uh, having an ego is to me saying that you're better than other people, and that's not true. You might be a better artist, but as human beings, uh, we're all you know worth the same thing, and so I think that's kind of where it starts. And you know, along with being kind to people, that also doesn't mean for the younger cinematographers uh, getting stepped on because if you are experiencing things that. Um, you know, or people are treating you in ways that they shouldn't, then that's something you need to stand up for. Um, So I think part of it's having a commanding presence with a kind attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, And people are doing things for you and getting paid, but that doesn't mean that you can just boss them around and tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of it's asking them to do things and also uh, waiting to hear their feedback for what you're intending to do. Because again, the gaffers and key groups that I work with, have been doing this way longer than I have. And a lot of the times we'll have much better ideas than I have. And so I always try to pitch my ideas um, and they listen carefully. And then if they have uh, an alternative to something, it's usually me being like, that's great. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of being open minded as well. Um, and listening to the people that have a lot more experience than I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is something I learned over years of being a director. There's something in the power of walking up to the people that you have have hired, essentially, that you've cast around you to be there. Uh, and then just saying to them, like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing here, so who, who has an idea? And, and there's something really nice about being able to do that, being able to trust in my own vision and my own ego and my own security of being like it's okay if i don't have the fucking answers for everything here and then you get surprised and then you start to learn and then it also empowers the crew around you to be able to come to you and say hey like look maybe you're not doing this the right way and here's another option that you might want to think about and it's nice to have people around you that are honest about that shit you don't want yesers that are just like this is fantastic, and then you, <laughs> exactly. and then you shoot the piece, and they're like, "Well, I always thought it sucked." And you're like,
1: "Oh, <laughs> well, why didn't you tell me?" Yeah, I trust
0: you. Yeah, thanks, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah, that's super important. Um, being able to, I almost, you know, have more respect for the people that are willing to admit that they don't know what a term is or what's going on, um, because I, you know the fake it till you make it is important to a degree, but Mm -hmm. not to the point where you can't ask for help. Um, And there's always times where we're not going to know what a tool is or what a term is for something, and that's perfectly okay. And I I honestly try to make a point to do that with my team. I mean, my gaffer will mention new lights to me all the time or even some terms every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. (laughs) And he laughs at me for a second jokingly, and then he'll explain it. Um, and it's obviously out of love, but I, I have a great team. So I'm not normally afraid to tell them when I don't know what something is.
0: Well, I mean, it's impossible to know what everything is and it's impossible to know. I mean, unless like I've had like amazing cinematographers on the show that have been doing it for like 30, 40 years. And it's like, well, this guy has sort of an idea of like what most of this shit is because of the time that he spent. But
2: (laughs) yeah, you know, I still
0: don't, I'll, I'll go into a rental house and be like, What's the difference between a like a low riser and a high riser again? Like, I, like it's yeah. it's <laughs> stupid shit like that that just doesn't stick with me. And and it's nice to be able to work with people that are like, oh right, well if you if you have a tall actor, you might want to stand like this. It's like, oh right, okay, yeah, 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 right, right, you know, exactly. Little nerdy shit things like that that are fun. Well,
1: there's uh, so many freaking tools between you know camera grip and electric that you know unless you've been doing it for so long. It's, it is kind of hard to keep up with everything. And also technology is changing so quickly, especially with LED and everything. Yeah, um, There's just so many new tools coming out all the time. Yeah. And it is important to stay up to date. But, you know, every once in a while there's going to be things that we don't know.
0: <laughs> well, well, yeah. And then there's also a sense of it. There, there's a bit of an argument there. And I, I guess it's a taste thing. but. To a certain extent, I'd rather my cinematographer be up to date on their storytelling skills more than on uh, their LED unit skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, There sort of hits a point where, as a director, I rely on my cinematographers often to be technical and to make sure that they have a technical eye on the continuity of a piece and everything. But at the end of the day, it's the ability to translate an emotion into this medium into this visual medium and and say hey you know maybe we do this with the dolly move and then they cross frame and then there were two here and that's fascinating and what does that make us feel like and those are the conversations that really get me excited when i start talking with the cinematographer you know
2: exactly yep
0: All right, it is time to talk sponsors. It is time to talk about the gear that I've been using lately, the stuff that I love, um, and like I've said before in other episodes, I'm not. Normally, I'm not approached by sponsors to be on the show. I hunt these people out. I seek them out, and the process of getting them to be a sponsor on the show is kind of a labor-intensive thing. I go through the process of reaching out to them, letting them know that my listeners would love to hear from these people, would love to hear about your gear. My listeners would use your gear. My listeners would want to learn more about what it is that you guys do. Um, And it's a process. I go back and forth with them, they ask you know, how many listeners do you have? Do these people actually give a shit? And I convinced them, yes, yes, you do. You know why? Because so many of you are constantly asking, Mike, what kind of camera do you use? Mike, what kind of edit systems do you use? You know, what do you use um, for lighting? How do you light? You guys are asking these questions consistently. No matter how many times I tell you that it's not about the gear, you're always asking me these questions. And so I want this show to be a great resource for a lot of you filmmakers. I also want the show to be a great resource for a lot of you cooks and chefs out there. We're working on sponsors that will be supplying us with uh, great tools for cooking. Um, and I just want you guys to look to this place for entertainment and for healthiness and for happiness, right? And so if I'm gonna get sponsors, if I'm gonna do ad reads, why not actually do stuff that means something for you. You've heard me on earlier episodes try to do, um, you know, the regular shit, right? We tried a little bit to do like the shaving company and we tried a little bit to do like the dogging company and all that stuff. They don't give, you know what? They don't give two shits. Let me be real. That's why I'm not doing it. They do these really dog shit affiliate programs where we, we get paid a little something if you guys click on it, but it's nothing. And you know let's go further down the rabbit hole on how podcasts work. I think that that's completely unfair. I think that no matter what, we're doing ad reads for you as a a client. We're doing ad reads for you as a company. Um, So the least you can do is support us. Uh, And so that's why we stopped doing the affiliate stuff. I just felt like every fucking podcast was advertising the same thing. How many of you need to do that thing, right? You don't. Those guys don't need my advertising because they're on like Joe Rogan and and YMH and all those different places. They don't need my shit. And most of you that were listening were complaining, saying that we've already signed up for those deals with other podcasts, so we can't re-sign up with them with you. So I changed my philosophy, I changed the way we do ad reads. I now similar to how I book guests on the show, I just hunt down the men and women that I feel like are that you want to hear from and that contribute to our podcast, okay? And so that's what this is. So when you hear me get into the ad read section, don't skip past it. Most of the time I try to stay like on my toes and give you guys some interesting little nuggets and tips and tricks. And then I go off on some pretty interesting (laughs) diatribes during like this one, during the ad reads. Um, So stick around and support us by clicking the links, they are trackable links for each one of our sponsors in the description of the episode. If you click those links there, or you can find them at inlovewiththeprocess.com on today's episode or any of the other episodes, just click through. If you're sitting and watching this, or listening to the show on your phone, and you're sort of mindlessly scrolling through uh, Instagram at the same time, visit um, our sponsors on Instagram. Just drop them a note on Instagram. Say, hey, listen, we heard you uh, in love with the process. Mike let us in on how the game really works, and we really appreciate you supporting the show. It means a lot to us, and it means a lot to Mike. If you leave notes like that, our sponsors will stick around even longer. That helps keep the show free. That helps keeps, you know, keeps me uh, fucking making stuff for you guys. You know what I mean? First up, our friends, these guys have been sponsoring the show since the beginning. Since the beginning, when I had 12 listeners these guys were still sponsoring it then. This is what I love about Puget Systems. They love art. They love artists. they support artists. They saw the future of the show. They believed in this show. So they were with us from day one. That's why they always get first first read from me. I love these guys. They've supported me since the beginning. They helped support me when I made the Who's There short? They were on set for the Who's There short. They actually brought an amazing Puget Systems edit system to the set. So we were editing while shooting. My assistant at the time, Dave, you've heard him on the show. He was in episode one. He was there assembling our our, um, dailies in an edit room with haze and smoke from the set, which was the next room over. Uh, There's some really funny pictures of him uh, editing on set of Who's There. So... Computed systems. If you're someone that is looking to buy, if you're somebody, wow, this is what happens when I do a podcast later in the day. If you're someone that's looking to buy a new computer, uh, maybe you are just a a filmmaker, you're a music composer, maybe you're a cinematographer, and you need to assemble your reels. You need to bring in this footage and maybe you're color grading on your own, um, and you need a system that keeps up with you. You don't want that pinwheel of death. And let's be real, man. The prices for some of like the quote unquote industry standard companies are just astronomical. You just look at those prices and you go, what am I buying? Is that just for the unboxing experience? Is that like the the cult membership pass? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, fuck all that shit, man. Seriously. If you're going to buy a tool, if you're going to buy something that is going to help you make your art, you want that tool to work for you. You don't want to be a slave to that tool, and you sure as shit don't want that tool telling you what you need to do and how to do it and, like, boxing you into processes. This is the only hardware that you're allowed to use, and these are the specific hardwares that we have deals with right now, so this is the only graphics card you can use, and generally, the system will work for everything, but it doesn't work perfectly for one thing, right? So why do that? If you're someone that is, like, you need an After Effects machine, if you're someone that Needs a specific like uh, DAW machine for for uh, audio editing. Build a PC, and if you're not if you don't know how to build a PC, if you don't know how to put it together yourself, I'm not dogging on you. I know it's a pain in the ass, the process of like figuring out what hardware works and what is the newest thing and is the newest thing worth it and is the price worth it for the hardware that for the software that's been around for years prior to that. I don't know. Puget System does all of this stuff. They benchmark test everything, uh, and they put together epic computers. I have two right now. I have my one that I do my 6K cutting on consistently. All my footage that I bring in from my Blackmagic 6K Pro camera, I bring it in raw. I color grade my stuff raw within Premiere, real-time playback, multiple fucking video timelines. I love it. Puget Systems is the shit. If you don't believe me, head on over there now. Check them out. They're a great place, they have a great forum, they put out really fantastic articles about the latest uh, hardware that drops on the marketplace and how it works or doesn't work with the software you use. Um, So it's a great resource. If you're building your own machines, it's a great resource if you're someone that works for a post-production company. And maybe it's your job to find the latest and greatest gear. Maybe you have to outfit some of your suites with some new computers. Head on over to Puget Systems and check out what it is that they're talking about. Check out what it is that they research. And who knows, you might be converting to a PC. It's really awesome shit, I'm telling you. It's a great resource. It's a family-owned company. Uh, these guys build amazing computers, and I love them for supporting the show since day one. So head on over to PugetSystems.com and check it out. Wow, that was a good read. Ah, I uh, said last week in our little mini episode uh, that we released our pieces for Entertainment Weekly and for the boys, the cast of the boys, uh, the really strange, very high-anxiety... Uh, action-packed little um, dad camp footage mood pieces that I cut using sound effects and music from our next sponsor, uh, our friends over at Jambox.io. I didn't look. It's a it's a high-profile gig, right? I have to edit for Entertainment Weekly, and it's like Carl Urban, like major actors that are all going to look through this footage. I'm not just picking music because I have a sponsor there, right? And, I, and most of the time when you work for publications like this, they have to use stock music. I don't want to pick some trash and have, you know, the dude that played Judge Dread, you know, judging my fucking shitty edit with trash music. That's why I was so happy to have Jambox.io, to have a subscription with those guys, because it elevated that content. It elevated those, el- those edits. You guys have seen them, Right. And I've told you on every episode since Jambox started being our sponsor this year, I've told you that they're like having a subscription to Jambox or even just going to their website and going through their catalog and just purchasing single song licensing per project. It's going to change your work. I cannot say this. How do I? There has to be some other way for me to translate this to you guys. It's music is everything. When you're talking about editing and you're talking about filmmaking, music is the guiding force for emotion. It just is. Pick tracks, pick songs that inspire you, find tracks with stems so that you can recut them, you can make them work purposely for your stuff. Because we can't afford a composer all the time. Clients don't often want to pay for that. And does that mean that as a filmmaker, you're stuck dealing with trash? No, I refuse to take that as. What is my only possibility? You know me. I always start fighting against shit when people are like, well, that's the deal. You got to use this fucking stock, crappy stock site that we have a deal with. I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that. It's going to make it look like shit. Head on over to jambox.io. Change the way your footage looks by changing the way it sounds. Best, best thing I can tell you. Check out their subscription uh, programs they have or their subscription options. Wow, Michael. They have stuff for students. I think it's like six bucks a month for students, super cheap. Um, It was $19.99 a month for the sort of corporate video section, which uh, or subscription, which I have uh, Entertainment Weekly fit into that. So I was able to use all that stuff from there. Um, And you just have access to such great stuff. I can't say enough good things about Jambox.io. Go there now. Check it out. Click the link in the description of our episode. Um, all right. Also supporting the show, uh, our good friends over at ShareGrid. I'm going to do the read. Do you own camera equipment that you're not always using? At ShareGrid.com, you can earn extra money by renting out your camera gear to local filmmakers and photographers. You know the deal, right? Like Most of the time, we're sitting around waiting for a job or waiting to get paid. Some of these clients are like net 60, net 90. I had a client come to me the other day and said, it's net 90. I'm like, what the fuck? I've worked for the military and they pay faster than that. So you're sitting around and your rent is approaching. you like, don't you wish you can go to your landlord and go, I'm sorry, it's a net 60, net 90. Some of these clients are ridiculous. ShareGrid is a great way for you to earn extra money using that gear that's just sitting in the closet, Right. And I know a lot of you are like, yeah, but is my gear going to get fucked up? ShareGrid vets every renter and gives them access to instant insurance uh, to make sure that your gear is always covered against damage or theft for 100% of its value. There you go. ShareGrid is the largest camera sharing community with over 15,000 creatives sharing over 1 billion worth of equipment. Sign up today at sharegrid.com backslash ILWP and get $100 worth of promotion credits for your listing. I would also say, and I've said this uh, before, bookmark sharegrid.com backslash ILWP because a lot of you listening uh, are uh, budding uh, cinematographers. A lot of you listening are camera assistants, people that want to become cinematographers. You guys are renting gear. You girls are renting stuff consistently. Uh, and a lot of you are using ShareGrid. So if you're using ShareGrid, use our link uh, because it helps us. I'll be real, it helps us out. So that's sharegrid.com backslash ILWP for anything you need from their website. Um, but if you're going to put gear up there, you can list all types of gear, camera, lighting, audio, grip, props, or even location, really anything production related. Don't wait. Start putting your gear to work. Go to sharegrid.com backslash ILWP. Also, sponsoring the show, we'll do light reads for them. We are sponsored by Small HD. Uh, Gina sponsored by Small HD, so we have amazing uh, monitors from those guys. We're also sponsored by Wooden Camera. We have a support system for our Black Magic rig, uh, and we're also sponsored by Teradek, which is going to be sending the video signal to the monitors and to those rigs. And many of you are asking, "Wow, those are a lot of accessories. How are you going to power all that stuff?" Where we've teamed up with IndiePro. IndiePro is the one-stop shop for all of your power needs for your Pro Video and DSLR cameras. There's a lot of people like Indie Pro. Go there, check it out. Indie Pro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount slash gold mount batteries and chargers, battery adapter plates, meaning that with a camera similar to the Black Magic, where it only comes with one battery and no external charger it becomes a pain in the ass when you have to make this a professional camera so why not strap uh like a a gold plate or a v-pipe battery on that which would run the camera but it will also run the monitor and any of the accessories that are attached to the camera then you get a bunch of uh indie pro batteries that are quick charging they're lightweight strap it right on there good to go everything's run by one battery it's the shit man i'm telling you uh so these guys have those adapter plates that you would need to do that regulation cables and many other unique power accessories yeah there's a lot of really fascinating stuff on their website uh these solutions are compatible for the most popular brands in the market today such as sony canon Blackmagic, panasonic and numerous others Uh, the interesting thing about them is that they're located 30 minutes away from new york city indie pro uh manufactures and assembles many of their power solutions in-house now, why is this interesting to you assistant camera operators out there? This gives them the ability to customize any of their power solutions to fit any of their customer needs. So if you have an idea, if you're a poor assistant camera person that has to mount a bunch of custom gear from your cinematographers on there and you're like, it'd be great if I could power these all by one unit, reach out to Indie Pro. They'll help you build that unit. You know what I'm saying? Um, We're offering a special discount code today for 20% off, 20% off your entire first order from IndieProTools.com. Just use our promo code LOVE20 at the checkout to receive the discount. Again, we are offering 20% off any of our power solutions at IndieProTools.com with the code L-O-V-E 20. Check them out. Let me know what you guys think. Um, and I, like I said, support our sponsors. Drop them notes. But what am I, what am I telling you, right? I'm helping you build equipment that is going to, A, be cost effective. B, act as a tool that listens to you. And that works for you. You're not a slave for it. Equipment that'll last a long time. Equipment that doesn't go out of date. Um, just shit to help you guys be better at your job. You're welcome. Consistently ask. You're welcome. All right, let's get back to it. What's your process of uh, of uh, breaking down a script or breaking down a treatment for you? Like, do you like to sit with it by yourself for a while and then come up with Shots and do you prefer to work uh, as the person that's coming up with shots, or do you like to collaborate with a director? And do you like a very visual director? Like, what are you, what are your likes at this point?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I'm still kind of figuring that out. Um, every director I've worked with is different.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and so I guess if I had a preference, what I normally like to do is have time with a script. or a deck and be able to read through it and pull my own references and kind of generate a lot of my own ideas. Mm -hmm. And then maybe come together with a director and honestly hear what they have in mind first. um, Just so that they don't feel like I'm trying to step on any toes. I'm here to totally listen to what is in their mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, I, I think it's fun to have a director that is very clear on what their intentions are with the piece. And even sometimes what the look and visual style is going to be. Um, and I can kind of be there to ex- execute, and also give my own input and help craft and shape what that outcome will be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I've honestly found it a little bit harder to work with people that don't have a clear vision. Cause then I'm kind of throwing out different ideas. And even when you do that, they, they like three of the ideas and aren't still, Settled on what they want,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so you know, I, I find it's a lot more fun to collaborate with someone that is, you know, almost more stickler on what they're looking for. Um, and it's cool to work with directors that have that because I feel like that's a gift when you walk into an idea and are very um, confident in it. And that's I think where the, a lot of the better projects come out of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's. It, it- It was a fascinating learning experience for me because I have had, you know, as I went full-time director and I sort of walked away from, you know, cinematography, um, I had had the experience of of years of being a cinematographer. So I kind of know what uh, to ask and I know how to stimulate a cinematographer when I'm talking to them about Mm -hmm. certain things. But in the beginning, for me, it was like, okay, what is the balance here? Because my brain still thinks in lens choices, my brain still thinks in <laughs> in uh, you know contrast and lighting and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it took me a while. I work a lot with Cruda. It took me a while to uh, get uh, that relationship where I felt like. Um, my process was blending with another cinematographer's process without sort of offending a cinematographer. Cause I, there, there are two camps out there and I don't know if this is also going extinct, but there traditionally we're like two camps out there for cinematographers. There are the cinematographers that believe that they are, <laughs> and some of them I would never work with, but they believe that they are the ones to make the decision on what lens to choose. And they believe that they are the one to make the decision on where the shot is shot from and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, then there are the cinematographers that very much are collaborators. And I've always leaned towards collaborators. And I know that there are directors, directors come from everywhere directors. Like it might be a writer that suddenly is a director and they've never directed before. And and having a cinematographer that knows how to do all that shit, I'm sure is very useful. Um, yeah. You might be an actor. I mean, you might be like a producer's like nephew <laughs> that, yeah. that suddenly was promoted to directing. So and, and when you look at the job of a cinematographer, oftentimes cinematographers, uh, especially in TV, they have more power than directors do. And they're setting the look and maintaining the look for shows and all that sort of stuff. So um, which one do you hope to be? Which, which, which angle are you headed towards?
1: Yeah, I'm, I guess similar to you. I am very much uh, in the camp of whatever the director is looking for. Um I'm here to be a tool to the director uh and be you know the strength in whatever they're looking for me to be. Um mm-hmm. uh, and so if someone is very clear on the lens choices and camera position that they want, I'm here to execute on that and um give them what they're looking for and if someone has absolutely no idea what they want or where they want the camera to go, I'm also willing to be that person and so collaborative is kind of the arena that I um like to play in. Mm. Uh, and that's, I think why it's important too, when you're first chatting with the director to kind of feel them out um, in terms of like, do you, do you like to create the shot list? Do you want me to do it? I, you know, don't have a preference. It's kind of whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, and That's kind of how I like to start a lot of those conversations just to kind of see how intentional a director is in terms of um, the equipment and also like shot list and camera placement and everything
0: hmm that's smart that's smart i mean i i kind of do the similar thing but from my angle like i would do it with you right now like as a director asking a cinematographer like i'm always i'm always hunting uh for like what is your in, in general anybody that i talk to that's shooting like what is their um their go-to toolbox like what is their their notion like i'd love to see your photographs that you took and the photographs yeah. that you take because that is that is your foundation, like those pictures that you took with your family and that stuff that you did that's always there and so when you get in trouble and or if we get in trouble on set and shit's not going right, uh, we always reach back into our toolbox we always reach back into our comfort um, to find options because it's there it's a foundation for us so
2: exactly
0: um, I'm always fascinated with that sort of stuff when I'm talking to a cinematographer uh, like. Yeah. You know where do you go if we're in trouble?
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Back to the basics, man. <laughs> um. So, uh, this is good. This is good. I'm happy that we're finally talking.
1: I know it's it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out like a year ago. I'm sorry I've put it <laughs> off for so long. Uh, it's been crazy. I mean, podcasts reach out every once in a while, but I was like, I got to do mics because hey. his is sick.
2: Ah, thank, um, you, thank you, thank
1: you, thank you. And I've you. been meaning to do it for a long time, so yeah. I'm glad you wanted to have me after this long period of time.
0: Of course, of course. I've been watching your stuff. I'm fascinated. Um, so let's continue. If you, you, You're you doing all right in time, right? Are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm chilling. Okay, I'm
0: fuck yeah. Is he doing your White Claw right now? <laughs> oh yeah, drinking my White Claw. <laughs> uh, all right, so let me ask... All right. Let's let's continue to distill you a little bit. Like what top five best cinematography movies for you?
1: Oh gosh.
0: I know. That's a fucking real dickhead question, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to think, so you're going to have to wait on me for a second. Let's see. Okay. So my first, my first movie, and I will say this as like one of my top movies in terms of cinematography, uh, is short term 12 and that is because that's one of the first movies I watched in college that I really noticed the cinematography Mm -hmm. and absolutely fell in love and that is because I was obsessed with a very naturalistic style that was handheld um very minimalist in terms of the lighting Mm -hmm. um And I still, I mean, I find that movie stunning. And I do feel like a lot of people wouldn't necessarily say that because it's not Dune, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just love very intimate character moments. And so the medium shots on the characters when they're going through really intense emotions Mm -hmm. was just like mind blowing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's that's one movie that was is really special to me and um, something that has really left a mark um, Joker is another one mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with. I mean, everyone is. So, uh, I'm obsessed with the look of that piece. What is um, it? Uh,
0: what is it about the look of that of Joker that you really like?
1: I love the colors, mm-hmm. uh, mostly. And I think, I don't know. They're just so captivating the greens and the yellows. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are colors I've been playing a lot with lately and I just find really stunning. Um, it's also a very gritty looking piece and I'm usually into those darker, darker movies, Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, vintage glass and everything that kind of complements it. Um, that's another one that's always stood out to me as soon as I saw it. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, don't, don't get too stressed about this list. This isn't a list that you're going to be judged by. This isn't a list. I know.
1: I'm, I, I'm trying to think of what even comes to mind. Um,
0: Let's talk. Let's talk lighting, right? Is there a specific movie that you've seen recently that you were very inspired by the lighting? Oh man! I mean, Joker's got gorgeous lighting in it.
1: Yeah, that does. Um, man, lists are my like worst.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love.
1: I have such a bad. Here's the thing: I have such a bad memory that asking me things like that off the top of my head is like never successful. So I apologize. No,
0: don't worry about it. I mean, while you're thinking about it, I can go through, you made a comment where you were saying uh, that the first movie was a movie that you saw in film school and it was the movie that uh, really made you notice cinematography. Similarly with me, it was the same thing. I, I, I took a film course and I really wasn't, even paying attention to it. And we watched, of course we watched citizen Kane. Of course mm-hmm. we watched that movie. Um, but we also watched the first blade runner and both those films for the same reason, cause I hadn't seen them otherwise. I probably wouldn't have seen them otherwise. Um, and I watched both those films and I'm still completely captivated, um, by blade runner for the lighting, obviously. And then, um, you know, citizen Kane for, just the blocking in the camera placements in that yep. movie are yep. just fucking amazing. You know, um, I get obsessed with that shit. <clears throat> I really do.
1: Especially when you find a movie that you watch and it blows your mind. Cause you know, I, I do feel like there's so much content out there and we're constantly watching things that it does take a really special movie for me to really notice mm-hmm. like cinematography or lighting. Um, and so that's why like Joker or certain s- movies that do not come to my mind right the second, um, they, re- they blow your mind right when you see them and they're very memorable. Um, and, like Ladybird and Room or like two others that are always movies that I reference and, um, am obsessed with in terms of cinematography and lighting and, um, storytelling. I'm fast.
0: Like I'm fast. So you really like the, the, uh, intimate sort of naturalistic (laughs) thing right that's that's
1: yeah those are all kind of similar um i'm obsessed with like character dramas just with really fascinating intimate um stories about you know people's upbringings and things like that
0: what yeah what draws you in on that stuff is it personal experience that draws you in or you just do you like to just let the actors guide you through it is that is that your thing um
1: you, you mean if i take on a film like that yeah you know, I don't know. Um, we could have a therapy session on it and see kind of <laughs> why. Why am I drawn? Uh, also, why am I drawn to like dark, gritty dramas about really depressing stories? I have no idea. That's really weird. Uh-huh. Um, I I think I I find it fascinating that we all come from vastly different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and all of us all of us have experienced shit growing up. Um, that really shapes who we are. Um, and we all come from very different places and uh, have very different friends. So it's it's so interesting to me to be able to tell those type of stories. Mm. Uh, and one of my favorite things is to get to be, you know, three feet from an actor who uh, is going through an intense and emotional experience and even just watch them, you know, get into character and have to even mm-hmm. like cry. I'm so fascinated by that ability to make yourself cry and put yourself in that mental space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Just something that I'm drawn to. And those are kind of the stories that I want to tell. Um, not, I don't think for any specific reason, I'm sure if I were to break down even where I've come from, you know, it might be attributed to that. But um, mm-hmm. I'm just I don't even watch. I don't watch a ton of movies and shows. I'm kind of picky nowadays, which isn't good. I like. I don't like that. But a lot of the time, those are like the only movies I'll watch is like a a character driven, like darker drama.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I mean, they're they're the hot ticket right now. You know what I mean? They are. It's
1: cool to see. Like, I'm stoked that those just keep coming out because everyone. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe we just resonate with watching other people go through hard times and can relate to it or I yeah. don't know what it is.
0: Yeah. It's all about that relatability. Those are the notes, <laughs> the notes I constantly get. Make sure the characters are relatable. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you bring up an interesting point there that as a cinematographer, we, and even as a, as a filmmaker, uh, we get access to what a lot of people don't get access to because we get to see an actor do it live. Yeah
1: and we and get be to really close to
0: it. Yeah, and then we th- what's fascinating especially from a director standpoint and even a cinematographer standpoint I think it's equal um is that uh we see someone do something we process what that is how we feel about that thing and then we're trying to use everything at our disposal to make the audience feel at least a fraction of what we felt when we watch it. Yeah. Yep. You know? It's, it's a very romantic way of looking at it, but I, it's, it's almost like we're the first filter if we're talking about light bouncing through the room and then having to go through diffusion and then going through the diffusion of the lens. <laughs> it's the same thing emotionally with us as, as, as it, human beings and individuals. And what I'm always fascinated with when it comes to working with a cinematographer or collaborator is that you and I can be standing on a front porch and we could watch something happen. Like, anything can happen. There could be a car accident. There could be two people that haven't seen each other in years, and they run into each other's arms and they start making out passionately. And I'm seeing that and hearing that with a completely different internal score and a completely different internal filter than you're seeing that and hearing that. And there are a lot of similarities. We may be like, the sun was setting and it was warm and there were bugs out. and A lot of those specifics are there, but I'm always fascinated Especially if you're working with a cinematographer and a lot of directors that are listening to the show, listen closely. Yep. What you're doing is you're looking to be fascinated by that person's filtration, by that person's experiences, exactly, um, because it shapes your movie.
1: Exactly. Honestly, similar to that, I have this like this low key dream of I don't maybe this exists already. So tell me just to shut up if it if it does. But <laughs> uh-huh. I I have this dream of like starting a show or participating in a show where you give like five different director, like maybe even like high end directors or DPs, a script and, and a set and you have them all, you know, shoot it. Cause I'm just like curious how all those different people interpret both the story and the dialogue. Yeah. um, And also just the look of those pieces. And it'd, it'd be so interesting to me to just see all of the differentiations between the looks and the lighting and the acting um, when you see different directors and DPs get their hands on that material.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fascinating thing to look at because it, it is totally true. And uh, there are times as a director where I've written on projects and I've prepped projects that we don't get, like I don't get it. And then it comes out, like there's a new movie coming out, I think next month that I wrote on. And I went through the entire process of creating an entire film in my head and shooting it and saw the way it looked and everything. And then I see how it's been done and I'm like, weird. <laughs> it, yep. it feels like this person that I took on a date, but it's not that person. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a very strange thing to look at.
1: Yeah. That would be a really interesting experience.
0: Yeah, it would be.
1: being Yeah. Even like the sole writer of a story that means a lot to you and selling it and then seeing it produced. And yeah. it probably being nothing like you imagine it being.
0: hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Hopefully, hopefully, in a good way. Well, I mean, uh, oftentimes not. I mean, look at yeah, like look at Stephen King. He fucking hated <laughs> The Shining. He hated Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, um, which is funny because it's such a great movie. But obviously, he had a very specific thing in his head, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. But I mean, that's what we're doing, right? I mean, we're telling stories at the end of the day, and and I always I always yell and scream this because I, I there's a piece of me that feels like a lot of a lot of content currently that we're getting, and a lot of the content that we're getting through streaming services is all about the scripts and writing, and I, it's important. Scripts are important. They're formulas. They're the the building blocks on anything that's great. And they're helping us guide uh, the uh, viewer through a character's arc. Very important shit. But I think there's been also sort of like this dismissal of the visual medium to a certain extent. And I'm not saying stuff doesn't look great. Stuff mm-hmm. looks great. But then there's a, a lot of stuff that you see right now on TV specifically and even in the movies, that just looks like real pieces, and you're like, "Wow, wow, that was a great real piece, and that was a great set piece, and they <laughs> did a really good job with the lights in that scene." Yeah. Um, but the visual medium itself, I think, needs to be flexed a little bit more these days, and and it's weird because I'll go back and watch uh, amazing films from the the fifties and the sixties and the in the seventies. And you're just like, wow, these guys had such a grip on the visual medium. And that was really what the driving force was with this.
1: Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think playing on that, you know, one of my goals hopefully in life is to be able to be confident and skilled as a DP where I can make the choice to make something beautiful or not. Yeah. Um, Because I think a lot of the time... I don't know if it's because the the industry is so saturated with cinematographers because we're all, we all have hands on cameras so early on. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, just the access has opened up a lot more that we're all competing and maybe feeling like everything we do has to be stunning um, and eye catching and I fall into that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, to be a, a higher end cinematographer and, and be confident that, if I wanted to make this look amazing and stunning, I could. But this particular scene actually doesn't call for it. Uh, it actually calls for really flat lighting because it's comedic or whatever, like whatever you're looking to do, um, which I feel like is hard for me to even do at this point. Um, but that's that's a goal of mine is to to hit that at some point where I can make that choice um, and be confident that you know if I wanted to, it could look go in either direction, basically.
0: Yeah, it's confidence, right? I mean,
1: I think. Yeah.
0: A lot of people I talk on the show, myself included, you know, we all suffer from one form or another of imposter syndrome. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like oftentimes when you're in a position, you're like, why am I here? And why am I the person doing this?
1: I will say yes. Yeah, so, yes, I, I will say, you know, over the last year and a half of really being pushed at Frame.io and and being able to learn from amazing people like that has dissipated for me a little bit, which mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for. I think it's when I end up on really big productions. I'm like, do you know how many more people could do this way better than I could? (laughs) That's, you know, that's where the imposter syndrome hits. Um, But for the most part, like, and I feel like it's, it's uh, an encouragement to like younger filmmakers is, you know, after spending some time in the industry and working with the gear and learning from other people, like you start to build up a library of the lenses and the lighting and everything, and being able to fluently speak the language of cinematography and the technology that's required to do that. Uh, it, it does really build the confidence and, and help you to feel like you do belong here.
0: Yeah. 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 No, it's. But
1: r- yes, we all suffer from it and we'll continue to, I think it's when you level up uh, you're like, are you sure I'm supposed to be here? Cause you know, <laughs> last week I was shooting hundred thousand dollar productions and now you've asked me to shoot a million dollars. Like, I'm yeah. not sure I'm the right person for
0: this. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, no, it's weird because we all suffer from it. And I think everybody does, you know, and, and you know it's strange because a lot of the learning that we have to do, we have to learn through time and experience. And um a lot of the convincing that we do is sort of, uh, we have to bullshit our way in, you know, and oh, a lot a lot of it so is like it- Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And that's where the imposter syndrome is the most painful is like, I've, I've definitely been in those spots of like, I will probably never make it. And everyone thinks I'm a fake and I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like what is shutter angle? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> stuff like that, where I'm, you know, you're starting out and there's so many things you don't know. And it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and you have to kind of break, break through that and just stick through it. Cause feeling that and feeling like you don't belong somewhere um, is it's, it's hard to, I feel like keep going and keep wanting to learn and yeah. uh, try. So.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was talking to uh, uh, Rob Draper, cinematographer, Rob Draper about this. And we were talking about um, uh, young cinematographers and their reels and their demo reels. And uh, at some point in time, the demo reel became sort of like this montage music piece <laughs> where it's like, I'm looking for my hottest shit, you know, like, where's like, like, th- this is where I had a crane and this is where I did this. And so you're stacking up these demo pieces. And, you know, I would say that those are very useful uh, when you're dealing with commercial clients and producers, right? Because commercial producers, <laughs> I don't want to talk shit, but com- <laughs> com- commercial producers essentially like to walk down the Walmart Walmart aisles of cinematographers and cherry pick whatever hits their fancy, you know what I yeah. mean? Where it's just like, oh, wow, she shot, she's done some like very colorful, hazy stuff. That's great. We have a colorful, hazy piece. Um, <laughs> but Rob brought up a really good point, which I support, and as a director, I really look for this when I'm when I'm looking for cinematographers. I'd rather a reel be scenes from a movie, and I'd yeah. ra- I'd rather a re- or scenes from a commercial. I'd rather a reel be uh, just a bit so and and just a rough cut of of scenes where I can get lost in a scene. Because first and foremost, as a director, I, I, I don't want to notice your shit. I want to watch it and really get obsessed with the story and be like, okay, that's good. First things first, that's great. And then second, I want to see how a cinematographer can uh, keep continuity. You know, like uh, potentially the over-the-shoulder was shot two weeks prior to the close-up. So do those yep. things match up nicely and do I notice the differences between those? And, and then... On top of all that, it's like, okay, how is the art of cinematography taking the emotions that happened there and bringing them off the surface of this two-dimensional object, most likely my fucking iPhone, but like, (laughs) how is it getting into my brain, and what techniques are they using for that?
1: Yeah, no, that's really smart, and I, I definitely fall in the first camp, unfortunately. Maybe it's the generation or what's popular right now. Um, but I, I tell like when I speak to students, sometimes I'm like, definitely make sure even if your reel real, doesn't necessarily convey it, that you understand how to tell a story. Um, because first and foremost, that's the most important part. Um, and you know, being able to confidently choose your, your lens, your lenses and your camera position and your camera movement, um, is going to dominate even over like beautiful imagery. Um, and so I would, I am in total agreement, even though my reel does not necessarily match that. I think (laughs) that being able to tell, no, really being able to, for a director to be able to see that a cinematographer can tell a story with those tools, um, is, is much more important. Um, and hopefully look great at the same time. Sure. Yeah. Reels are very flashy now. It, It really is just like four seconds, you know, every four seconds, a new shot of something beautiful or a crane move or a drone.
0: (laughs) And the weird thing too, is that it's just so oversaturated at this point. And the, the funny thing is that with media, the way it is currently and with our delivery systems, the way they are currently, like we're seeing consistently a lot of really pretty shit, like all the time. Constantly. And as consumers, I think we're, I don't know. I, I, it's been dulled to a certain extent where you're just like,
1: especially with Instagram, it's like you scroll through my feed and it's just like beautiful image after beautiful image. Yeah, And it's hard, it's hard to even differentiate cinematographers because everything looks so good. And honestly, a lot of it looks the same, not in a bad way. They look great. Um, But there are trends,
0: there are trends that everybody's
1: like, did you use orange and teal? Um, Are you (laughs) shooting wide angle, really close up Uh, stuff like that? So I don't know. Everything is, looking very similar at the moment.
0: Um, yeah. which, which, I don't know. I mean, one could say the cynical side of me could say it's because we're not paying enough attention to story yeah, and it's, it's it, you know, we're paying more attention to gear and, uh, yeah. toys and not enough to story. And it's important, I think. To- yeah.
1: You know, I, I wish too. like, I do feel like in film school specifically, I never really learned how to tell a story visually. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what I've had to do is learn, you know, post grad, grad life is like, how do I tell a story with a camera and choosing lenses and with my movement and with the colors or with the wardrobe, like everything. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard. Cause they're like, I don't know. Do you have any book recommendations that you've checked out or interesting YouTube, like, where do you send people to learn more about
0: that? (laughs) I love how you're like interesting YouTube videos. Okay, so this, (laughs) this, all right. So I'm trying not
1: like I don't know where people. I'm trying not to get triggered. Going to AFI, you
0: know. You don't have to go to okay. You don't have to go to AFI. Um, for for me, I could tell you what I've done. Um. I grew up as a kid that loved comics. I'm a, I'm a kid that wanted to be an illustrator. So I'm a kid that also was trained in painting and, and oil painting and, and mm-hmm. watercolor and a lot of physical mediums. I think it's important if you're a cinematographer to be playing with other mediums as far as visuals are concerned because it's really inspiring you uh, outside of the – let me be real cynical about it – outside of the cesspool that is <laughs> your social media f- feed. You know, like you have to get out of your social media feed. And if you aren't taking art courses and if you aren't doing that sort of thing, you just have to be experiencing life and being on set is great for it because you're getting the input from other folks. But even to a certain extent, I I would feel stifled by set life because a lot of that would be. (laughs) This, <laughs> i'm not going to use the word cesspool again but the <laughs> their instagram feeds and their shit and so like the suggestions would be something that i just so happen to see an ad for running on instagram that someone is suggesting that we do this thing and i'm like okay so you're just as trapped in your inspiration as i am <laughs> um the the move i think there's so much power in going back into the history of cinema, and going back and understanding the language of cinema, and there is so much power in honestly having a a fucking cri- Criterion Channel subscription. Mm. Um, and I know it's work because I've I've had a Criterion subscription for years, and their their references can get so deep and lost without any, cause we're so used to having everything advertised to us one way or another. You know, it's like your friends are like, have you seen this fucking amazing movie? Or like, uh, the ad campaign is like, you need to see this fucking amazing movie. And so you go through like a criterion queue and you're just like, there's so much shit that no one's telling me is good. Like yeah. where, where do I fucking start? You know, <laughs> it's serious. Like this is a serious thing. And so what I ended up doing was, was going back to the stuff that I was curious about as a kid or the stuff that I loved as a kid because, of course, I'm a Generation Xer, so I grew up with Scorsese, Spielberg, those guys. And so I went to those guys who I thought, like John Carpenter, I thought those guys were amazing. And then I went and I did the research on them, and they were just essentially remaking the movies that they loved when they were my age watching them. And so they're like Howard Hawks and they're going through the process of talking about John Ford and all these other guys. And I was like, well, if my, my heroes like these guys, I should probably go watch that stuff. And so that's always a good place to start. And so like, if you have a favorite filmmaker that makes a modern film and that filmmaker somewhere starts to talk about their references, it's always nice to go back and see their references. And if you're watching those references, you find out who their that filmmaker's references are, and you go back and look at it. And the fascinating thing is, you start to distill down a single. If you could have a sentence, a visual sentence in the language of cinema, you find that the origin of that, which is interesting, and and I think ninety percent of the time, when I find that, which may be going back to an old black and white movie, uh, like. Um, uh, oh my God, my brain just shut down. Uh, 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 Kurosawa. Like, uh, whenever I go back and watch any old Kurosawa movies, and one of my favorites from him is this movie called High and Low. Mm. Amazing movie about a kidnapping. Amazing movie when it comes to the true use of anamorphics, the true understanding of an anamorphic, and how to block actors and use an anamorphic without moving the camera. But get your coverage in just the way the actors are blocked and how they walk into close-ups and over the shoulders and how they do everything without moving the camera i then knew that that was the language that spielberg used for munich
2: hmm. I,
0: I then knew that that was the language that like jj abrams uh was using from spielberg which then came from that hmm. um and so then i can be inspired at the same starting point that spielberg was and then work from there
1: it's interesting
0: yeah it's I I know it's very like a bloated response.
1: (laughs) No, I love it. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, what do you, what's your take on watching movies sound off?
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, I I don't know if you got a chance to see my movie 12 KM, but, um, and I've talked about it in nausea on the show, but, um, I, I shot a whole movie in a language I don't speak. Mm -hmm. And, And I intentionally did that to study, uh, like body language and blocking mm-hmm. like what's your what's your uh, opinion of sound off movies
1: yeah i i honestly wish i could say i've done it more um i've done it a few times and i find it extremely helpful um because like i should i usually just end up getting lost in a movie even if my intention is to pay attention to the cinematography and lighting yeah uh, so that's a good thing, but also annoying when I'm halfway through and I'm like, shit, I was supposed to be watching like <laughs> breaking down how they shot this. I forgot. Um, so usually like the only way I really successfully do that is if I watch it sound off. And I always try to make a point to, to do it, especially with movies that I I love. Um, but I've only done it a few times. Oh. It really is a commitment to sit down and do it.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, there hits a point where it's homework, but yeah, it's, you know, the few times that I've, ah, uh, that's not true. The times that I, that I do make myself do it, I always walk away with like one or two things that blew my mind. Yep. You know, where you're just like, I mean, I did, a I did a whole podcast on, on uh, like one of the Indiana Jones movies and how, how many times I had to watch, cause I was just trying to figure out specifically his camera blocking for one of these sequences. And I had to watch it seven times because I would get like the same point into the scene and then get lost and be like, wow, it's super cool. And then I went, how many fucking shots was that? Fuck. I have to (laughs) rewind it again. And so, uh, I did it with audio off. And when I did that, when I finally trained my brain to observe the movie, which sometimes could be no fun if you're just a movie fan, because once you sort of like pull the curtain, you're like, ah, fuck. All right. I'm never going to enjoy this the same way again. But, um, when you do, it's like, oh, shit. That's such a good use of a single set. Ah. Yep. And you, yep. and then you always walk away with this little nugget that gets like put in that toolbox. So when you're talking to a director or if you're talking to a producer, that's like, look, we don't have any time to do the shit that you had scheduled for the day. And all we have is this one set. And I just go like, how about we bring a straight Dolly track? And uh, we have them cross frame here. And then we backlight them. We throw some smoke back there and then have some people walking through that backlight to give the illusion that the set still exists there, but it doesn't exist there. And this is stuff that I may have noticed uh, when Sir Ridley Scott was trying to make a backlot set, seem like it was a city in the first Blade Runner. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, It's it's really fun shit. Like if you go back and you look at Alien and it's like, wow, they had so much money for the set design. It's like, no, they didn't. It was like one fucking hallway. (laughs) (laughs)
1: the you know? <laughs> fullest Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you know the deal, like, especially on low budget, you, you're always thrust in the same location because, you know, you can always get a deal on gear. You can always get a deal on crew, but you can't get a deal on locations. Locations are a bastard, especially out here in Los Angeles. And so, you know, the producer's like, well, we got one, one location. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> It's like fuck. How many times can I shoot this living room and make it look good? You know.
1: Yeah, seriously, and different potentially.
0: Yeah, right. And then you know, what? I'll sorry, go for it. sorry, no, no, no. Go ahead. I've been talking long was, enough. Go ahead. What I was going to say, say
1: an- another thing aside from sound off that I love doing, um, and again, haven't done it a ton, but have enjoyed when I have done it is being able to download even like commercials and go frame by frame because there's so many like transitional pieces now in a lot of commercials. And so sometimes I'm like, how did they do that? Mm -hmm. And so even just like sitting through a two minute piece and just clicking on each frame and watching certain things is really taught me a lot as well in Mm -hmm. how people end up shooting and cutting and doing their VFX and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I love practical stuff. I really do. And, and the thing that really gets me excited about our industry is that Yes, there's a lot of technological advancements, you know, like you can now shoot in a in a entirely LED video wall space. Um, but they're still using the tricks from back in the 30s, man. They're still like reversing people and they're just doing the simplest simplest camera tricks using mirrors. Um and I love that. It's so magical. It, it's the same I, I guess it sort of bookends what we were talking about with the uh, d- with the dark room. Is that a lot of those old techniques and tricks are relevant still? And it's if it's a lang- if if the language of cinema is like the standard language, it's like you know the verbs in a sentence that are still as valid as they were back when when they were figured out initially. You know,
1: exactly.
0: It's weird. I don't know. I'm ranting.
1: No, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. I love it. I learned something too. I mean, even it's just like always like, unless you need to go back and watch more movies on mute. um, It really does teach you a lot. It's just, you know, even finding the time to do that. You're like, there's so many new movies with sound that I have to watch.
0: Yeah. No, no.
1: We're always required to continue studying and learning more. And so that's one of the better ways of doing it. I think.
0: Yeah. And if you're into naturalistic stuff, you should go back and watch the old Cassavetti stuff. Oh yeah, uh, I should. Yeah. All the old Cassavetti stuff is like really amazing. And uh, the improvisation that happens and and the interesting um, changes you have to make to plans as far as like, even like shooting plans for improvisation and like how you light rooms for improvisation is different and how you're, uh, you know, covering those scenes are different because you don't want to fuck with the performances. And you go back exactly. and you, you watch these these legends do that. And you're like, fuck, fuck, that's what it is. You know,
1: Seriously. Am I, I mean, the more modern version I know is hearing Natasha Breyer talk about how she lit and DMXed Honey Boy kind of live just <laughs> so that she didn't interfere with that kind of stuff. And I love that movie, like, um, photographically and everything. So that's that was a really interesting take on you know using a lot of smaller leds and being able to live dmx as they're acting and moving around the space Yeah, so interrupt what they're doing and they could kind of go wherever they needed to and she'd still have light in place for that that was pretty cool
0: super cool stuff and a lot of these new tools are really great for that you know oh
1: seriously yep
0: y- you know and and trying to make a like your set seamless and you know trying to keep people off of fucking ladders <laughs> which,
2: is, <laughs> which,
0: is nice. which is really nice well d- this has been great. this has been a really good conversation. We're clocking in at uh just about over an hour um That's awesome. yeah man is there um is there anything you want to ask me is there anything that you that you uh want to get into that we haven't talked about
1: um I can't think of anything off the top of my head because I freaking suck at that.
0: I love love putting you on the spot. That's what I like to do (laughs) Is
1: there anything you haven't been able to touch on that you were hoping to in general for either of us to be able to chat through?
0: No, I think it's been good. Like, it's been nice to to, uh, meet the woman behind the shiny reel, you know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, you know, what's nice to hear is That, uh, you know, you are newer in this business, but you're on such an interesting fast track um, and you're learning and you're doing it smart. And um, I think in a time period where I think oftentimes people are more obsessed with the illusion and the image of doing this sort of thing, you sound like you really have your hands in there and you're you're, uh, loving and learning and creating really pretty stuff. Um, and that's refreshing. And I, I, I really want to just point that out because I, I, there's so much shit that you see in the cesspool that is Instagram where you feel like it's just trendy to like be, you know, looking cool in front of a camera or making sure that you look hot holding a camera off these days. It's less about. The
1: most important, uh, interview interview thing is, you know, when you have a good photo with a camera, we all have to have it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I do have a few of those on my Instagram. I'm aware, but it's also, you know, it's about balance. It's fun. You know, seeing some women, I honestly enjoy seeing other women holding cameras as well. Um, It's, it's definitely just like an encouraging platform to be able to see people's work and also, um, you know, see them doing the work. It's, it's always inspiring. So yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. I'm grinding and trying to learn, as much as i can in a short period of time and mostly just thankful for a lot of the people that have pushed me and also given me a lot of really early opportunities to learn as much as i can um so yeah we're we're all doing what we love and doing the best we can to continue to be able to do it
0: hell yeah man but, hell, yeah. To do what we love. hell yeah hell yeah and uh, you seem really cool we should hang out you should come hang out with me and Gina get sure? I beers. want to come
1: by your do you have a studio
0: well we had a studio but uh, post-COVID we're doing everything out of the house now but we have a great spot so you should yeah, come
1: hang out we should definitely con- connect that would be
0: great all right well Alyssa thanks for being on the show
1: yeah thanks for having me Mike I appreciate it
0: Was a fun conversation. I like her. I think she's cool. I mean, her work's really great. And you know, to be honest, you never know who you're gonna get, right? We uh, see so many of these artists. We see so many of these great people on Instagram, and you're always asking how much of it is the Instagram filter, right? How much of it is you know the best, the two percent of their life? Like, what do these people really like? And that's what I kind of try to do on the show. And I was pushing her a little bit because I wanted to sort of crack that and understand, you know, what her life is like as a young cinematographer, what her life is like as a, uh, a talented, uh, female cinematographer in, in the changing business and what that's like too. Um, but I mean, that's all clickbait shit, right? At the end of the day, I want to know how she sees the world. I want to understand what, if I'm going to hand her a scene, I want to understand what she's processing that through. And I think we started to scrape into that a little bit. I probably could have gone further and maybe I'll have her back on and maybe we'll go a little bit deeper. I'm sure she'll come back. Um, but, uh, I like this episode. I think it's great. It's a different one for us as far as cinematography is concerned, but I think it's a relevant one and an important one to listen to. And I think it starts to round out that cinematography section of in love with the process.com if you want to go back and listen to the other cinematographers that we've had on the show we've had a wide range of them we've had some of the best in the business uh, fabian wagner we've had uh, daniel pearl uh, greg frazier academy award winning greg frazier has been on the show but then we've also had a lot of friends of mine that are doing really great stuff like my buddy justin carey who shoots all the all things barbecue stuff my close collaborator and good friend david cruda has been on the show multiple times um and we've just uh like uh kayla hoff she's so great she's a great cinematographer as well so head on over to love the process.com and check out our cinematographer's selection and pick the episodes you want to listen to that's simple i also up there put up specific pages for each episode with supporting materials so like Reels might be up there, trailers for movies that folks have done. Oftentimes, my guests will send me more pictures than I will post on social media. So I'll put those pictures up on inlovewiththeprocess.com. Great place to go. Uh, You can also support all our sponsors on that site as well. Um, So yeah, another episode in the can. Working hard for you. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys uh, love um the show and uh i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna get to work i'm gonna get this thing mastered out and uh hopefully out by next tuesday so you know the deal stick around tuesday new episode on the way love you guys